you were fully involved in that worship set, if those words were getting in, then you just heard the sermon. So let's close in prayer. <laughs> I got a lot of smiles on that one. <laughs> Hello, my brothers and sisters. I'm so happy to be with you again. Some of you, uh, we have a long history. Others of you, uh, I am George, and a very long time ago, just after Moses wrote the Pentateuch, I was pastor here, (laughs) and wow, did we have a great time, and you taught me so much, so I'm glad to be back. Since then, uh, the last 25 years, actually, I've been in Nairobi, Kenya, and you've been a part of what we've been doing there. You've been generous, you've prayed, and uh, it's just been so good. So thanks for your partnership. Uh, I have a a picture here of two other missionaries that are supported by Trinity, and that's Dominic and Rejoice. As you can see, they're in South Sudan, and they ask me to thank you because... About a month ago, you sent a generous gift. I don't know if you knew this was going on, but your missions team was very involved. And uh, you sent a generous gift because they really actually, they live in the city of Juba, which is a capital city in South Sudan, but it's, it's chaos. It's anarchy. And so we needed to build a, a little fence, actually a wall around their house because they were getting harassed by thieves primarily, although uh, the police are probably more dangerous than the thieves. So thank you from Dominic and Rejoice to you for your generosity in helping them get this fence up because for their safety and their ability to continue to serve and minister there in Juba, um, it's actually really, really necessary. It's not a luxury. So receive thanks from your brother and sister over there. And I just want to mention to you that there is uh, somebody else in the house that some of you uh, long-time Trinityites might remember. It's Pastor Mike Rowe. And when uh, I was here, Mike was leading a phenomenal youth ministry And God did great things. And Mike is here with two grandchildren. Is that crazy? Youth pastors don't have grandchildren, as far as I know. But Mike's here, and uh, there's a special concern some of you know about, but I, I just really want to call you as the family of God to pray. Mike's son, Adam who was a little boy. He was born when they were in this church. So he's a son of Trinity. Adam Rowe is now one of the pastors on the staff of Grace Chapel down in Lexington. Adam and his wife, Liz, just had a baby girl a little more than three weeks ago. But she has very special and difficult medical needs. So the baby hasn't come home yet. She's been down at Children's Hospital with the finest team of medical people on earth, really. But we need to pray. 
As good as those guys are at Children's Hospital, it's God's power that brings any kind of healing, isn't it? So I invite you to pray. Adam and Liz are the parents. June. Jane. Sorry, senior moment. Jane is the baby's name. In fact, let's pray together. We have no one else to turn to, but that's, that's good. It's right that we turn to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You're God and you're good. You know the situation with Adam and Liz and Jane. You understand human anatomy far beyond anything we can ever understand. So we appeal to you, loving Father, to have mercy. Have mercy on this baby, on her parents, on her grandparents. Oh, Lord, let them sense in an overwhelming, visceral way your presence. And let your healing love flow into that child. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I have, I carry this little green paper around. Uh, that's what it looks like enlarged. But I have, you know, this is how old I am. I still have a, you know, one of those little diary things where you, uh, you know, a calendar thing. So I write stuff down in pencil. I don't do it on my phone. What the heck? Why would you do that? Anyhow, I keep this so that every day it's in my face. And uh, this is just my code notes for Jesus' very first sermon, according to the Gospel of Luke. So, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus does some great works and healings and, and calls some disciples. But then he finally gets people together and preaches, and this is where he starts. So you could say this, for Jesus, is discipleship 101. This is, the, this is the foundation of everything else he wants to tell us. And from my notes, you probably can figure out where this is in his teaching. Love your enemies. <laughs> Why did he start there? Seriously, do good to those who have it in for you. Bless the ones who are cursing you. Bless them. Don't curse them back. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do unto others the famous golden rule. As you want them to do to you. There's a section on give. Just give. Don't calculate. Give. When somebody has a need. Somebody asks. Well, that sounds ridiculous. Reckless. No. Your father's got your back. Give. Don't condemn. That's a condensation of several lines. Forgive. Then there's that cool little story about the log in my own eye. You know, I'm so quick to see your problem. And meanwhile, I got this thing in my eye. Just deal with yourself first. Sums that up. Be merciful. Just as your Father in heaven is merciful. I try to read that every day. 
Because my master, my Lord, Jesus says, this is the way. This is the path to eternal life. Or I should say to abundant life. This is living eternal life. This is what happens when you belong to Jesus and you follow him. I also get, uh, I do use a computer, by the way, I'm not that illiterate. And I get things like our daily bread uh, into my uh, inbox with email. I know email's old, but I got this message uh, this week. Instead of telling us to be kind, respectful, compassionate, or patient, which you are to be, Jesus tells us to love. Now, this next little paragraph here, this next little chunk, I think is a definition. So the word love, you know, is kind of weird and useless nowadays, but here's what it means to those of us who follow Jesus. Love is a determination of the will that no matter who this person is, no matter what kind of relationship we have with them, no matter how they treat us, no matter if they injure or grieve us, we will seek their best. There's a little bit more. It is doing the same good for them as those for whom we have special feeling. It is love to those whom we may or may not like. This is a tough love, not a feeling of the heart, but a resolve of the will. It is a love God has for all of us. Love no matter what. It's the love Jesus had for his disciples. So guess what? We're going to talk about love again. Now I am aware that uh, Pastor Sean had two messages on love at the beginning of June, before he really dove into the one another series, he did John 13 and John 15, which says, a new command I give you, love one another. And Pastor Sean taught us about this. I saw it online. I wasn't here. But he said this is the foundation of all the other one another's. So for several months, You've been in a series, haven't you? Talking about relationships among believers. And this is the foundation. So maybe it's appropriate here as we get to the end of that whole set of teachings that we go back and underline yet again the one that rules them all, as the pastor said. Now, there, there, there's a problem with me giving this sermon uh, because when I go over my little green cheat sheet, I stink at it. So I should probably not be talking to you. The quality of self-sacrificing love that Jesus calls to and which is the determining behavior of Christ followers, it's just not normal. It's not natural. It doesn't automatically well up in any of us, I think. Love, like on my little green cheat sheet, 
is the fruit of knowing deeply and personally that I'm loved by God, my Father. That's what Sean taught us at the beginning. Love happens within us. It wells up by the power of the Holy Spirit when we behold the love of God displayed in Jesus on the cross and delivered to us in the gospel. That's where love comes from. So let me tell you a little story. That's what Jesus always did, you know? Like a difficult issue, a struggle, a conflict. Jesus said, well, why don't I tell you a story about that? So here's a story about the impact of being loved by God. It can serve as a little bit of a litmus test, perhaps, for us. It's found in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And uh, starts in verse 36. This is the word of the Lord. And by the way, remember, when you're seeing, watching, observing, hearing about Jesus, you're watching God in action. This is the close-up. This is the most definitive portrait we have of God. It's Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So, watch God work. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, Having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisees, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet, letting down her hair. She dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, was the one I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet. But she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting. But from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for, refresh, for freshening up, but she soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she's very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her. I forgive your sins. Oh, 
That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Again, remember, I just read you a story about God. Don't ever separate Jesus and God, you know, and think they're working in, in, in different realms. In fact, I, I got another thing this week in, you know, my uh, inbox. Perfect. Jesus Christ is for us the loving self-disclosure of God's mysterious heart. That's one you kind of have to think through, isn't it? This is a disclosure of what's in the heart of God, and it's about love. The key and cornerstone of all knowledge, the eternal teacher. Just need to keep saying that, because sometimes we can read these stories about Jesus and think, wow, Jesus was cool, but then have a different or even a fearful response to God. And that's a tragedy. That's a real tragedy. Now, let me warn you about two possible misunderstandings that could come out of that story in Luke chapter 7. One is that forgiveness is not granted to the woman based on her sort of over-the-top expression of, of outrageous worship. Okay, so she let it loose. And Jesus doesn't say that and say, whoa, that's very impressive. Okay, you're forgiven. It goes the other way. She experienced Jesus. She experienced forgiveness. She believed his word. She responded in faith. And boom, she couldn't hold it in. So do not misunderstand and think that somehow you got to work yourself up like the lady and just really, you know, really weep a lot or something in order to impress God, to get something out of him. That would be a terrible misunderstanding. The other misunderstanding, and it, you know, it's a sort of subtlety, but in the parable, he mentions somebody that's forgiven a little. But guess what? There's no little debt. There's no little debt. Okay? Not when I compare me to God. I may not have the same track record as somebody else. I may not be the village prostitute. But my debt in the sight of a holy God, big. So let's put those aside and let's remember those last words, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now, we've got a couple minutes here. Let's think about the story a little. The Pharisee, you know... They're kind of villains in the Gospels, but really they were very decent people. You'd want them for neighbors, you know? You'd want them in the, in the city council because they, they were pretty honorable, often uh, of high character. Uh, you know, this guy would have been something like the, local, the, the, the president of the local bank, let's say. So 
a decent man. We have no idea really why he would invite Jesus. We can speculate about that. It doesn't say, although it does give us a little insight into what was going on in his mind, because Jesus sort of reads his mind in the middle of the story, right? So it seems like maybe he was doing an assessment, an evaluation. Okay, Jesus, this guy's causing quite a stir here in the local villages. I need to get a close-up. Let me have him over. I'll do my own evaluation. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Invites Jesus into his home. I think the cool thing that follows from that is Jesus goes. <laughs> you know? Which tells us, again, a lot about God. Jesus doesn't say, Wow, you're one of those creepy Pharisees. There's no way I'm having dinner with you. He's, he's eager to go onto the Pharisees' turf as it says elsewhere, to seek and to save that which is lost. So that's a lesson for some of us, I suppose, that we got to be with people. Even pre-Christians, huh? We got to go on their turf. It's great to invite people to church, but there might be better ways to get inside somebody's world. Anyhow, that's the pattern of Jesus. Now, here's the woman again, and she, well, as it says, had a pretty bad reputation. She's known to be sexually promiscuous in town there. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to guess and say this could have been doubly embarrassing because she might have had a business relationship with some of the other guests around the table. You know, you never know. So she just shows up. She'd encountered Jesus at some earlier time, I have a long theory about that, which I'll spare you this morning, but she was overwhelmed by the grace of God in Jesus. So she had to find this guy. She had to search him out. And so she does. She's on fire because God has made her clean. And so she hears the rumor and discovers he's going to this house. And so she shows up. And she brings the most valuable thing she's got, this perfume stuff. Do a little research on that. I guess it's worth, you know, a lot. And so she's kind of doing this stealthily, she hopes. She doesn't want to make a scene. I'm going to guess she had a little speech that she worked out, you know, that she was like, okay, when I get in there now, what am I going to say? Okay. Mr. Jesus, um, I'd really like to thank you because... But she didn't get into her speech. She lost it. She just came apart, didn't she? I mean, this is over the top. This is embarrassing. What a scene. Tears. It's like, oh no, it's wet. Hair. Oh, man. So, something uncontrollable is going on here. And that's a picture of somebody who's been touched by the love of God. Doesn't come out that way in all of us, but that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing, the impact of grace. She gets it. Her huge debt of guilt is really, really gone. Jesus said so. And her response is gratitude, it's worship, it's love. 
she's just willing to look stupid. Because <laughs> she's on fire with Jesus. So, let me put a question that comes out of that story to all of us. Even me, especially me. Cranky old guy, you know. Does it take your breath away when you come to the Lord's table like we're about to do? We're having Holy Communion today. I think you figured that out. But when you come to the Lord's table, when the elder says to you, Jesus says, this is my body for you. When we realize again that God has really forgiven us all our sin, as our songs earlier said. Does that get you? <laughs> that hit you hard? That fresh at all in your soul? I know we're all too respectable and New Englandy and Baptist, so we won't get up and start weeping, but on the inside, how's it feel? He gave his life for you. You are clean. That's the message of this story. That's the message of communion, which we're about to do. I hope so. I hope that hasn't gotten old for you. You know, sometimes as we go on and on and we've been in the Lord for some time, we can get a little, I don't know, almost like Pharisees, isn't it? You know, we can look at other people and think, oh, that guy is messed up. There's a serious sinner there. If you find any of that seeping into your soul, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Can I show you... Uh, a couple of little pictures about growing in the Lord. Um, this, is, this is when we get, get saved in the beginning, when we trust Christ, you know. We have some awareness through the gospel and the Holy Spirit that God is really holy, perfect, and he actually punishes sin. Gah! When that boom explodes in my mind, I'm desperate. Because I also realize, you know, I don't have a great record. On the outside, I look pretty nice, but seriously, if you knew. And so the gospel comes, the news of the cross, and I discover that Jesus paid for my sin, and I can be in relationship to God, and oh, it is so good. So us old-timers look back at the zeal of the new Christian and think, oh, isn't that lovely? They seem so happy. Well, okay, so that's day one, or the first two weeks, or the first year and a half. But then, if we're walking with God, if we're in the Lord and growing as Christians, we're discovering more and more and more and more and more and more about God. And I thought I knew a little bit about God on the day that I became a Christian. I was, I was a little kid, actually. I was like seven years old. So, you know, and we had this gigantic pastor, really tall man with 
hands like catcher's mitts. And so he terrified me. So I knew I was in trouble. God was like Pastor Stady. Woo! But growing in Christ, God gets bigger. He's more amazing than I thought. And that's so good. That's so good. But you know what corresponds to a more profound awareness of God? I'm learning about me. You know, I, like I said, I was seven years old. So I was very fortunate to come to the Lord at that time. And I knew I had some sins back then. You know, like fresh in my mind was I'd stolen a pack of baseball cards. They were valuable, by the way. I didn't know it at the time, but it had Mickey Mantle in it. So be a millionaire today, wouldn't it? Anyhow, I knew I had sinned back then, but I, I didn't know nothing about me <laughs> back then. But being in the presence of God, I learn about me, my insight into my behavior and my soul grows. And I know I'm, compared to my little green cheat sheet list, whoa, I'm in trouble. But you know what happens next? The cross gets so much bigger. It's a big debt. It's not a little debt in my case. It's huge. So God has done for me something I couldn't have imagined back then because I'm looking more clearly and accurately and honestly at my own soul. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Even me. Even me. Now I know it had to be a very mature Charles Wesley who wrote, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? Amazing love. You feeling that today? I mean, we haven't come to the table yet. Keep pointing to the flowers. You know, usually in the old days, pre-COVID, there was communion stuff there. So flowers are cool also. Don't be confused, though. We're talking about the body and blood of Christ. So that's the news for this morning. Now, I think to prepare for communion today, I would like us to get honest again. And so I have uh, put on slides a confession of sin. And I would like us to pray it together. You can read it out loud with me. Or if you don't want anybody to know you're a sinner, you can just mouth the words by yourself. But I think the more candid we can be about our own souls, the more good the good news is the more big the love of God is. So maybe as we come to communion, we can confess our sins. Remembering that the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Cleanse us 
That's why I'm inviting you to join me in telling the truth. Telling the truth. After we've done this, we're going to sing a great song about the power of the cross. So that'll allow us to absorb some of the grace of God as we sing together. Can we pray? Like I said, if you're able to do this out loud, but you don't have to, let's pray. Oh, merciful heart of God, in true penitence and contrition, we would now open our hearts to you. Let us keep nothing hidden from you while we pray. Humbling as the truth about ourselves may be, let us take courage to speak it in your presence. What we did not think shame to commit, that let us not think shame to confess. And in your wisdom, use this pain of confession as a means to make us hate the sins confessed. I confess to the sin of laziness in this. I confess to the sin of pride in this. I confess to this and this indulgence of the flesh. I confess to the habit of falsehood in this. I confess to this dishonesty. I confess to this unkind word. I confess to having harbored this evil thought. Blot out all my transgressions and let my sins be covered. Make me to feel your hand upon my life cleansing me from the stain of past misdeeds, loosing me from the grip of evil habits, strengthening me in the new habits of pure-heartedness, and guiding my footsteps in the way of eternal life. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
Jesus has a message for you. It's the same message he had for that woman. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Let's sing about that. Come on up here. come now to communion, to the Lord's table. It's a time of celebration and joy, but it's also a solemn time. It's uh, joyful because we have peace with God. We have reconciliation with him. But it's a solemn time because it's our sin uh, that made that sacrifice necessary. And so we reflect on both of these. In Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each of one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is what we're remembering. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 30 it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, pro- you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So there's two admonitions at the end of this passage from Paul. One is to the unbeliever. Basically, we are uh, told that they are not to participate. And so we ask those who do not know Christ, who have not come to a saving knowledge of faith, not to participate when we take the elements They, after all, have nothing to celebrate, and rather instead that they would uh, pursue uh, Christ, that they would confess their sin, that they would realize that nothing they can do can bring them uh, to reconciliation on their own, that it's only the sacrifice of Jesus that allows them to have peace with God. But for the believer, there's also uh, an admonition. That's to examine ourselves. We are... By accepting Christ, we're delivered from the penalty of sin, and someday, uh, when we get to heaven, we'll be delivered from its presence. But right now, we are being delivered from the power. But every day, we commit sin, every moment, whether it's sins of uh, action or sins of inaction, thoughts, attitudes. And so we need to take time. We need prayer to examine ourselves, and we need to be uh, confessing and thanking God for what he has done for us. So we're going to take that time as we take each element. As uh, you probably all uh, have picked up one of these in in the lobby, and um, what I'm going to do is I'll pray for us, and then we'll have a time of reflection and self-examination, and then um, I will 
give the indication and we'll take each element together. We'll start with the bread and then the cup. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that you have given yourself for us, that you have uh, let your body be broken so that we might have eternal life. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood that you shed for us. Thank you that you are, as the Passover lamb, provide a means through your shed blood for the Lord to look on you and impute your righteousness to us. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it all. Last Supper, when they had finished communion, they sang a hymn before going out to the Mount of Olives. And so, as we close today, would you stand and we'll sing this song and celebrate.